Abolition. 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 Fresh. I look around for my mother and my little sister. What happened to my brother? Some motherfuckers killed him. Damn, my head spinning and I'm sick to my stomach. Everything is pitch black and I can't see nothing. Everything was pitch black except the motherfuckers coming. I didn't mean to let them catch me. I was looking for my brother. All I know is that I feel an arm. Could be a foot, but a brother couldn't speak because his tongue they took. I was shook when I saw that fetus fall from the womb. But they came in the name of Jesus. Man, I'm confused. We was fooled. Our village was burnt in all our tools. And now I'm probably on this cruise. And a nigga shark food if I can't make it. Where the fuck's my destination? To the land of milk and honey. But I'm naked and I'm hated. And Satan taught me speak another language. Damn. It's fucked up on this slave ship. There's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. I look around for my mother and my little sister. What happened to my brother? Some motherfuckers killed him. Damn, my head spinning and I'm sick to my stomach. Everything pitch black and I can't see nothing. Coming down off this black rabbit, thinking about jumping. The big homie threw a meeting, but he ain't talking about nothing. All I know is that he got an L. Could be a rock, so he don't see it like they see it when it comes to them cops. But some shit that ain't about to stop. So they MIA, where they at? Working hard down in PIA. Private prisons make millions worth of CCA. Bro, I'm making like a dollar a day. Man, when count time, time in your ass move, then you ain't dead. It's a toilet by my bed. I said, if count time come, if your ass move, then you ain't dead. Bro, it's a toilet by my bed. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead bunny next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead bunny next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead bunny next to me. It's a dead bunny next to me. It's fucked up. Peace, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to Tales from the Plantation Nation. I'm your host, Samuel Nathaniel Brown. It's an honor to be here with you all today. Thank you for joining us. Um... This is our first show in the first first se- uh, first season, and we're so delighted to be here with Tales from the Plantation Nation, which is under abolition today, which comes to you all every Sunday and brings news about the fight to end slavery all across the country in the various forms. So that right there, what you just heard, that was um, Slave Ship from Sarah Fresh on New Nubian Music, and it encapsulates basically the spirit of the abolitionist movement and the show and what we're doing here today. You know, it's always about raising awareness around these issues that many people don't talk about, um, about the demographics that are oftentimes forgotten. And in this situation, we're talking about those behind the walls, the incarcerated. It's a forgotten demographic that many people don't talk about. And if they do, oftentimes it's in a bad light. So this show right here, Tales from the Plantation Nation, it's about changing that. It's about rehabilitating the image of people and not just those who have been incarcerated or those that are incarcerated, 
but people, period, because there are people who've never been inside of a cultural setting that do great work. So here on Tales from the Plantation Nation, we're not just talking to people who've been incarcerated. We're not just talking to people who are currently incarcerated, and we will do that. We will definitely be bringing the voices of those who are captive behind the walls. That's really what this format is about. But we're also bringing you the voices of people who are doing the work out here in the community, out here in the world, the unsung heroes that are not always celebrated. So, and there are many of them, many, you know, from, from Max and Yusuf to, to Jamelia in, in California, you know, fighting the slavery to Curtis in Louisiana, fighting the slavery. There's so many unsung heroes that the world doesn't know of. And we want to, you know, help give them their flowers right now because they should have their flowers right now. So for those of you all who don't know me, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Again, thank you for tuning in. This is Tales from the Plantation Nation, our first show. My name is Samuel Nathaniel Brown, and I'm formerly incarcerated. I did 24 years in the California Department of Corrections for a crime that I committed before my brain was fully formed. And I'm not saying that to make excuses. I'm saying that so you can have a full understanding of the criminal justice system, the laws that govern it, and the way things work today. So I committed this crime when I was an emotionally illiterate juvenile, and I received a life sentence. And off that life sentence, I served 24 years. Over the course of that 24 years, I did a great deal of maturing and evolving and learning and studying and getting a better understanding of this system and how it impacts me and my role uh, and responsibility to be a part of changing it and how it impacts me and mine. And so... I walked out from that 24 years. I walked out with three college degrees. I have an Associate's of Arts in Social Science, an Associate's of Arts Transfer degree in Sociology. I have a Bachelor's in Communication Studies that I was able to earn by way of California State University, Los Angeles, uh, Bachelor's Program in, in California State Prison, Los Angeles County, which was so crucial and critical. And studies show that people that get out of prison with college degrees the chances of them recidivating are slim to none. So shout out to Cal State LA and every college and university around the world that takes the time to offer college and, and programs of, of higher education to people in the carceral setting because it matters and we need more of it. So by way of Cal State LA, I was able to walk out with my bachelor's degree and I'm also the co-founder along with Aaron Fisher and Jamelia Land of the Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability Project, which operates predominantly in California, but collaborates with people all throughout the nation in the struggle. Um, one of the um, members, happy to be a member of the Abolish Slavery National Network, seeking to abolish slavery all throughout the country in all of its forms, especially getting rid of the exception in the Constitution, from the federal Constitution to all of the state constitutions that allow for the forced labor and enslavement of people who are incarcerated all throughout the country. Finally, I'm the founder of the 10P program, which is a program that operates inside of the California Department of Corrections and is really a cutting-edge rehabilitative tool that was born out of necessity. And so over the course of us talking here on Tales from the Plantation, I really look forward to sharing not only all of these things that I have going on, but all of the wonderful people that I've been able to meet as a result of giving myself to doing this work. Like, I look forward to bringing Taffany, Lim, 
and all of my, my, my classmates or cohorts that had life without the possibility of parole and now are on the streets with bachelor's degrees or master's degrees or pursuing PhDs. I look forward to bringing you stories of people who were incarcerated with life sentences and that are now running businesses or executive directors and mothers and fathers and grandfathers. We need to hear these type of stories. We need to understand that a person who made a bad decision does not have to be forced to live inside of a snapshot. They don't have to live inside of a soundbite. We need to understand that anybody's capable of change and growth, and especially with the proper social capital and opportunities, we're all capable of change and evolution. And that's another thing that this show is about, just human potential. And so with that said, because the show is not about me, so I'm going to stop talking about me, but it was incumbent upon me and an imperative that I talk to you a little bit about myself because this is the first show. And I just wanted to welcome y'all and let y'all know who y'all host is, who I am, give you a little bit about me, my little, little bit of my background. But I, eventually I want to start introducing my guests and, and letting y'all, you know, get a feel for this work, what it is that we're doing and why we're here. So my first guest is, my first guest is Aaron Showtime Taylor. And for those of y'all who don't know, Aaron Showtime Taylor is a phenomenal human being. Much like myself, he also did time in the cultural setting, um, which, is, which is challenging. And he was able to not only excel while he was in the cultural setting, but pave his own way, lay his own foundation. And that is so important. That is so important when you're inside of a prison system, especially with a life sentence. And I'm explaining this to y'all before I bring Aaron on. Why, why, why the work that this brother is doing and the example that he is setting is not only so important for people who have been incarcerated and people who have never been incarcerated, but for just human beings, period. It's because it's a testament. It's a testament to the human mind and the potential. And when you're doing the right things, how God shows you favor. So someone like Aaron set in a prison system with a life sentence. And just from observing what was taking place around him, just from wanting to be a part of community and help usher in and build community, he began officiating games inside of prisons, basketball courts. And these games get hostile and volatile, y'all. I retire from the basketball courts because the prison basketball courts do one or two things. or They do a few things, but some things that you can guarantee is going to happen, riots, melees, fights, people are going to call you out your name. It's going to get rough. It's going to get ugly. And so for somebody to step in and say, you know what, I'm going to officiate these games. I'm going to bring some structure to this stuff. That's strength. That's love. That's power. And then to take that and build it into something that begins to garner attention from outside the walls, that begins to touch the lives of many other people who were involved, and then be able to utilize that as a platform to build and make a living off of upon your release, Woo. brother, you're phenomenal. So I would like to welcome to the show my brother Aaron Showtime Taylor. Welcome, Aaron. I'm, 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 I'm a little taken aback at that intro. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not true? Um, I mean, yeah, other than the officiating part, I did play by play, but uh, – in a sense, it was the same thing. It was bringing structure to something that didn't have structure, you know. Um, 
playing basketball in jail is just playing basketball, you know. Can I go hard in the paint like I do on my show, or do I got to watch my mouth? Man, go all in. We all the way live, and there's no holes for it. You, you know how it is on them level fours, man. Dudes be out there talking shit, you know what I'm saying, throwing elbows and shit, you know what I'm saying. You might get somebody bang on you out there, you know what I'm saying. And, you know, all I did was just wanted to pass the time, you know what I'm saying, and make it make it exciting, you know what I'm saying. And I just started doing play-by-play out there, man, for, you know, like you say, everybody on the yard I was first on over at Lancaster, CSPLAC, uh, everybody had something to like except for two people. I only seen two people get released the whole four years I was at that prison, right? Everybody wow. else had something to like, so we was there every day together, you know. Um, and for those that don't know, the structure on the level four is pretty strict. You know what I'm saying? The political structure, you know, anything that happens that deserves for you to get disciplined, you will be disciplined. And if it's if it's egregious enough for you to leave the, to leave the yard, you can leave the yard. But you never know. You might have somebody that be like, no, nah, we're going to protect him, and then we're just going to set the yard off. So that can happen on level fours when you have people who don't understand structure and why the structure is there. The structure is there to get, help keep peace, you know. And to be able to do that on a level four, Right, I only had one incident where I got hit in the uh, in the face, and that was because of something that I did. I drew that energy to myself that day, right? But other than that, <laughs> nobody's never attacked me for doing play by play. Nobody ever rolled up on me like, "Man, don't be doing that, don't be saying that, don't be calling me that." You know what I'm saying? I had people talk shit to me, you know, in the showers and shit. You know, after the game, you know, you taking showers and somebody <laughs> be like, "Yeah, you that was a good game you called today, nigga." But you know what I'm saying? You seen when old boy elbowed me and pushed me out of bounds, man? I didn't see that, man. And if I did, if I say something, one of y'all goes, "I ain't the referee, bro. I can't say that." <laughs> right. No, you seen it? You right. seen it, brother? You know you seen? Watch, we gonna do it tomorrow. So it kind of went from, and it wasn't as drastic as it was on the level three, but on the level four, it kind of moved away from the from the hard, really hardcore gang banging on the court and stuff to the guy a little bit more fun, especially we had leagues and stuff set up. So I'm doing play-by-play for all of that. And it's a, it's a, it was a healthy distraction. You know what I'm saying? As you just spoke about, this is Plantation Nation. You know what I'm saying? We, we wake up on a level four with your body at a level three. Come on. On the one to five. On the one to five stress level. So let's talk level. about that. Let's talk you know, about that. So you got these you dudes go, you, that's waking up. We talking about, thank you for that. You make a great point. So let's put it in perspective for everybody that's out there listening. We got people waking up who feel like, why am I here? You know what I mean? Why am I alive? Why am I even on the planet? Why am I opening my eyes? I've been condemned. I have life without the possibility of parole. I have a number of life sentences. I just got another 115. It's pushing my, my day back. I ain't never going home, so I don't even know why I'm alive. And I don't, I don't, That's it. I'm pissed off. Maybe I'll spend my time on the weight pile. Maybe I won't come out my cell. Maybe I'll go to the basketball court and try to shoot some hoop. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'll go smoke, drink. Maybe I'll just continue to just further the negativity. Maybe I'll try to find a way to make sense of my life. You know, then you have mm-hmm. other people who are just, just, just following their homies and staying on the yard and stuff like that, waiting for something to happen so that they can do some damage to somebody else. You have trying to get their rep together. Exactly, trying to get torpedoes, build their name, people going to the church, people going to the chapel. And so for you to come out, you know, and look at it all, you yourself being condemned too. You had a life sentence as well, right? Yeah, I had 50 to life. Come on. So for you to walk out and then look at all these people who also have life sentences, some of them striving, some of them probably not striving. Some people don't even know how to strive or what to strive for. 
really is that sad. And decide that, you know what, man, I can't let this thing blow up, even on this maximum security yard. If I can bring some structure or organize this and, and help people see some positivity and some light, those are the type of transferable skills that we don't even realize are transferable skills when we're doing I it. I hear you right, but that, that didn't happen on the level four like that. That mindset didn't take place to the level three. On the level four, it was more, like I said, of just like a healthy distraction and a hella stressful situa- uh, situation on a level four that was hella violent at times, you know what I'm saying? What you're describing right now is the reason that I looked at the yard. That happened on the level three, and what happened was it was uh, 2007 when PIAs closed all up and down the state. And so when they closed the PIAs behind the wall, all of those people who would normally be behind the wall was now out on the rec yard with everybody. So we went from having like maybe four to 600 on a regular to now it's like 900, 1,000 people out on the rec yard, right? Oh, and great. you know how space is out there. You know, you got those invisible lines out there, you know, and the Pisces is over there playing soccer, and, 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 and the brothers might be trying to play softball, and when that ball right. gets hit over in the left field and you running over there to get it and you ain't paying attention that you didn't run into that soccer field where those Pisces at, you might just start a race riot. So just I'm great. looking at that, and I'm also looking at, the numbers that we had was hella, hella skewed. It was like seven to one when I first got there, uh, uh, Hispanics to blacks, right? And so what was happening amongst the blacks was those youngsters, when we moved from a level four to a level three, the age gets younger. So these dudes is more into fist fighting, but they gang banging consistently. And so when one or two of them get to fighting and it turns into a four on four, then me, I'm looking at it like I just came from a level four. We just lost we just lost eight dudes that was willing to fight, but they was fighting each other over some bullshit that happened up in L.A. And we way down here in El Central California on a level three prison yard. So that was the thinking when I started looking at that softball league because nobody wanted to really work with them youngsters. So I put a team together that had some Crips, Bloods, dudes from San Diego, dudes from uh, Central California, uh, cats from Frisco, Oakland, Muslim, Christian, I had everybody covered on my team. And then we put that team and played against some of the other teams on the yard. And what that did was once dudes started seeing their homies out there playing and they on the sideline laughing at them and stuff, but them dudes are still out there playing, then that sparks that kid-like thing again, like, man, I want to get out there and play too. But I can't get out there and do that. You know what I'm saying? The homies might laugh at me. Once you start breaking those barriers, then that's how we was able to get people to buy into the league. Because then it stopped being about looking at this nigga from what hood he was from, and now it started looking at this is this brother who's just on this other team, and we got a big bag we're trying to get at the end of this season. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so important for people like yourself and myself to do this work, not only behind the walls but also outside. Because what you just said, you know, the, the people will listen to us. They respect their own. And everything that I did in the pen, I had to do the same way. Again, that lends to them transferable skills that I'm talking about. That what you just did, that's proper management. You just assess the situation. You strategize. That's logistics. And then you launch the plan and you executed it. You know what I mean? From the top, from the top, to just try to bring a sense of, like, cohesiveness to the yard. And when people on the yard see the ones that they respect participating in an activity, then it makes it all right for others to do that. It's sad to say, but that's the reality of the situation. So when you have somebody like Aaron or you have somebody like myself, people that people that respect, and you say, hey, man, this is what I'm working on, this is what I'm doing, 
You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to do something positive, something new. I would appreciate your support. And it might be Hispanic that other Hispanics respect. And if he comes participate in it, then that's going to change the, the whole face and the complexion of everything. But and these the are the type that of... Do, the people that do that inside have to be respected. And the way you get that respect is earned. And the way you earn that no. respect is not by being in the chapel, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and talking to people who are other Christians. It's not by being up in there talking to other Muslims, you know what I'm saying. It's not staying in your group. What it is is going out doing a demonstration, right? You don't have to say Definitely. nothing. You just go out and do your work, right? And people are going to see that consistency. So when you do start talking, then people will respect you because, okay, we don't see him over at the gambling table. We don't see oh, him man. over with the drunk wine drinkers. He ain't over at the handball wall shooting dice. You know what I'm saying? He ain't running from sale to sale trying to hustle up money to get him some crack. This dude is always trying to put something together. And then when you start talking and people listen to you, they're like, okay, he talk like he got some sense. And then you strike out and do what Sam just said. You start putting things together in front of people, and people will come help. It was a lot of people when they seen what I was doing with the softball league that hurried up and jumped in and was like, man, we're going to get the homies together just so they can be a part of the league. When we did that, right. over a three-year period, we ran three seasons of softball and three seasons of basketball, all three seasons. But each year, oh, I understand. violence went down on the yard. Yeah, straight up. I was the rec they clerk gave a certificate for a while. I'll tell you, I was the rec clerk for a while in um, Ironwood mm-hmm. for many years. And as such, it was my job to organize tournaments on the yard. And so, you know, I'm talking everything from pinochle to horseshoes to softball to basketball to everything. That was my job. And you are so correct. From from handing out the hard time mugs to the sodas to the, to the gifts, everybody really would like, participate and humble themselves to be a part of something positive for a moment. But it, it, but it really this, did Sam. take, yeah. Watch this, Sam. Here's what's unique about what I did and what we did. We didn't have no assistance from the state whatsoever. I put everything together without mm. the rec clerk. We, I told mm. them, I said, we don't need the state to tell us how to program. We can. I'll put this thing together. We'll go ahead and do it. We help. We got half the court. We got a soft. We got a schedule with the field. You know what I'm saying? We can. We can do this. We don't need. All we need from the red clerk is, hey man, we come in to check a basketball out in the scoreboard. That's it. That's it. And that's baseball it. season, we come in to get the baseball bat and the glove, and that's it. You don't need to do nothing else. Well, I got shit. everything else covered. You just do your job. That's that shit. And that we is what sets people apart. If we organize it ourselves, then I'm telling people and I'm showing them, you don't need to have the police standing over you telling you who's in charge. You got to listen to this dude because usually, I'm not saying you, but you know, you get to them prisons, man, and the rec clerks, they be on their high horse because they got action at the burgers. (laughs) Oh, man. Let me tell you. First of all, (laughs) hey, hey, real talk, let me tell you. So you made such a powerful point. Me, I was the rec clerk. In no way in the world am I comparing being a rec clerk to what you've accomplished. Let's be clear about that. The point that I was making was that I understand how the cohesiveness of the tournaments and stuff is important on the prison yard. What no, you've no, done, no, no, don't misunderstand what I was saying. No, no, that's not what I was saying. I'm not. There's no way I'm not saying it's a comparison, but actually it is because the rec clerk is the one who's putting the structure together for everybody to work together cohesively. It's the exact well, same thing. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. Don't don't think that I'm trying to make what I'm doing different from anybody else. All I did was I just did it without using the red clerk. 
You see what I'm saying? I showed those well, guys that you didn't actually need to have the state to be involved in it, not the red clerk himself, but just the prison system and what it represented through the red, through the red clerk, not you. But that's my point. You understand what I'm saying? That's my point. I do 100%, Aaron, and that's what we're okay. highlighting here. This is what Tales from the Plantation Nation is about. The reason why you're here right now is because you had that extra oomph. You had that extra initiative. You didn't wait on the state. The reason right. why I'm here right now, bro, is because I did not wait on the state. You understand? We didn't wait on anybody to do what we know needed to be done. My supervisor, right. Ms. Castro, at the time, when I so let me, I got a similar, I have many similar stories to what you're talking about because everything from throwing like gigantic spreads on the yard to throwing tournaments, you know, you know how it go, but all the stuff. And at this one point, my supervisor, when I was in New Folsom, Maximum Security 180, you know what I'm saying? And I'm telling her, I'm like, man, these men have nothing to live for. They commit homicides, they commit suicides, racial riots. And, you know, she called me on it. She said, well, do something about it. And right. Like, Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Right to my face. And, you know, when I was with the negativity, if somebody would have said that, I would have moved. So now that I'm seeking to be with the positivity, I accepted that positive talent to do something about it. And so I set out and began doing a lot of research and the things that I was reading and studying about myself. I began drafting the craft and the curriculum. And I created this entire program. And it wasn't the state or nobody. It was based on my own phenomenological or lived experiences poured out into this curriculum. And then I had to go around the yard and convince these guys that had life without the possibility of parole, two, three life sentences, thousands of classification points, to come participate in this program that would help them, you know, get ready for society or emotional literacy and to evolve. And it was challenging. And I was looked at like, what the hell are you doing? You know what I'm saying? You, you're, trying to, you're trying to create something that has never been created in this space. And people will right. look at you like you're the eyeball out. Right. But you follow right. your vision because you right. know it has to be done. And that's what you did. And that's why I'm, that's right. why we're celebrating. That's what we're celebrating. You saw a vision, and you didn't wait for the, for the captain. You didn't wait for the COs. You didn't wait for anybody else. You knew what needed to be done, and you did it. Every time I did something, right, they would find out about it later, right? <laughs> when I started my newspaper, the show, right, I had been running the show for about six months before the captain heard about it and seen one of the stories in there. One of the stories, I had a joke section, right? And uh, it was a, a, a mythical booty bandit named him, right? <laughs> oh, no. The cap, listen, the captain see that. They called me in the office. They was like, what is this? And I said, uh, that's, that's my newspaper, the show, right? And she said, for the, for the baseball league? And I said, yeah, right? So we go back and forth, right? And the lieutenant comes in, and they like, you know, look. I mean, because this is when they find out that I didn't had each team put $25 in the bag, you know what I'm saying, and, 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 and the bag is 80% of it is going to the winner at the end. They find out the whole get down, right? And the lieutenant, you know it's illegal. It's all up in there. You can't do what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? And the uh, lieutenant nah. comes in, and he straight up told her. He's like, look, I don't agree with what he's doing either, but when the last time you seen the yard go down and one of my officers get hurt? That's right. Now, it's That's me. Right. It's me the lieutenant, and the captain in the, in the captain's office when, when, when he drops that bomb out there. The captain looks at him, looks at me, and then she says, I want to see every copy of this newspaper when it comes out. I want to see that baseball schedule you got out there because you are running it smooth. Man, we did so well, they brought a team, they brought a softball team in from Texas to play us in a home run derby on that yard. 
Wow, unheard you know, of, making history. And it, it, was, it was a testament to the fact. And even when they did that, even with the racial politics, and a couple of guys paid for it on the Hispanic side, but even with the racial politics, we was able to put something together where all the races was able to take part in it when this team came in, right? The carrot and the stick worked with some people. With other people, it was like, we just want to be a part of it, right? Because we changed the atmosphere on the yard through sports, not through religion, not through a self-help group. There were self-help groups elements in it. There was religious elements in it because sometimes to get people out to the yard, we had to put them on the Juma service list on Friday, or sometimes we had to put them on the Christian list on, on Sundays. And to do that, you know, you had to go to that service and listen to what was being said. And then you got to come out and play. You see what I'm saying? So we, we, we structured it in a way where you was going to get something you know, for participating, not just money, but we had some knowledge for you. We had some wisdom, some understanding. We had advice for a lot of those young guys on there who was married and going through all kind of marital problems on the phone when you're trying to conduct yourself in a marriage from a prison cell and your woman is out here with your kids and you're trying to make demands on her. And she's telling oh, you, look, God. i got to take care of this house and these kids. And now you on here with some extra pressure. Well, it took a person like me from the member to remind individuals like that, that, look, we come out here to take our frustrations out to the sports in a positive way so you can have gentle conversations with your wives and your girls. Humble yourself so on the phone because you put yourself in this situation. See, it gave us an opportunity through sports to become mentors like what you're talking about on the yard before they got released because we was on a level three and people was going home every day, three or four every day. So we had to take that time and do it that way, and we did it for three straight years, brother, and we did a lot of good work, the same type of work you was doing and still doing. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank you for the work that you were doing and are still doing. And we're going to take a break and come back and finish this conversation with my guest, Aaron Showtime Pillar, and this is Tales from the Plantation Nation. And right now we're going to present what's called These Are the Facts, presented by my girl, Tanya Mack. Yusuf. Hello, everyone. My name is Tanya Mack. I am the proud owner and founder of Universal Cafe, and these are the facts. Did you know that according to a report by the Prison Policy Initiative, wages for incarcerated workers in the United States are hella low. Some states are paying as little as four cents per hour. Four cents. As a result, corporations and states save a significant amount of money by using that prison labor. They're, they're estimating it to be $9 billion in services and $2 billion in goods for a total of $11 billion annually. $11 billion. Also, recidivism rates across the nation of people that report that parole with college degrees, let's talk about that. According to the RAND Corporation, individuals who participate in correctional education programs, including college Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Mack. I am the proud owner and founder of Universal Cafe, and these are the facts. Did you know that according to a report by the Prison Policy Initiative, wages for incarcerated workers in the United States are hella low. Some states are paying as little as four cents per hour, four cents. As a result, corporations and states save a significant amount of money by using that prison labor. They're, they're estimating it to be $9 billion in services and $2 billion in goods for a total of $11 billion annually. $11 billion. Also, 
recidivism rates across the nation of people that report that parole with college degrees. Let's talk about that. According to the RAND Corporation, individuals who participate in correctional education programs, including college degree programs, are less likely to recidivate than those who do not. This report also said that participation in any type of correctional education while incarcerated reduces an individual's risk of recidivating by 43%. Additionally, a study conducted by the Vera Institute of Justice and the Georgetown Law Center on Poverty, they found that folks who participate in college degree programs while incarcerated had a recidivism rate of 2.1% compared to the national rate of 43%. 2.1%. Another study published in the Journal of Correctional Education found that individuals who participated in college degree programs while incarcerated had a recidivism rate of 56, five, sorry, 5.6% compared to 5 from the plantation nation and these are the facts no spin no blend no put nothing in let's talk about black men in prison specifically in prison in california louisiana georgia texas alabama and the nation in california as of june of 2020 black men made up 28 percent of the state's prison population despite only being 6% of the adult male population. In Louisiana, black men represent 66% of the state's prison population, despite compromising 14% of the state's total population. Come on, Georgia. As of December 2020, black men represented 57% of the state's prison population, while being and comprising 31% of the overall state population. Next up is Texas. Black men represented 33% of the state's prison population, despite being 12% of the state's population. And Alabama. Black men represented 57% of the state's population, of the state's prison population, despite comprising only 26% of the state's population. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, as of 2019, black men represented 34% of the total male prison population in the United States. Ladies, let's talk about our black women. In California, black women made up 30% of the state's prison population, and we're 5% of the state's female population. This is California. In Louisiana, the numbers are equally dismal. Black women represented 47% of the state's female prison population, despite being 20% of the state's female population. In Georgia, 41% of the state's female population. 32% of the state's female population. And we're going to keep going because in Texas, those numbers are 30% and 12%. 30% of the state's female prison population and 12% of the state's female population. Alabama, 53%. 53% of the state's female prison population 
and we are only 25% of the state's female population. So, what does that mean? That means that disproportionately, we're receiving higher sentences and going to prison. Tales from the Plantation Nation. These are the facts. No spin, no blend, no put nothing in. Just like that. Brought to you by Universal Cafe, the 10P program, and this is new No spin, no blend, no put nothing in. Welcome y'all back to Tales from the Plantation Nation. Thank you, Tanya Mack. Shout out to Universal Cafe. And that was These Are the Facts. And every week, we're always going to have a segment called These Are the Facts, read by somebody who um, believes in what we're doing here. And it's going to be the numbers, because the numbers don't lie. Sometimes when we talk about slavery, we talk about involuntary servitude, there's always this argument. It's real passionate. It's real, you know, it evokes a lot of emotion. But it's we don't have to always reinvent the wheel. The numbers don't lie. The numbers show disproportionately black males are incarcerated all throughout the nation. Black women incarcerated all throughout the nation. The slavery machine ain't never stopped. So I want to ask you, Brother Aaron, um, anything, and, and these are the facts stood out to you or a, a touch the core for you, especially with your lived experience? I mean, I just started listening to the numbers, and uh, it was confirmation to numbers that I've been saying since I've been home, right, that I, I really pay attention to. And um, the numbers that I talk about is the the 85% of black men that were arrested and locked away for 25 to life from 1994 to about 2002, 2003, right? And that 85% were the guys, and I'm speaking specifically about Los Angeles, but I'm talking about the state of California and by extension throughout the United States, right? That 85% of people who used to be out in the street running them things, right, they arrested all of them. Right. And 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 we got arrested rightfully in my case for committing crimes and whatnot. But when we went inside, we also took all of that knowledge that our parents had given us, you know, the knowledge that we had got from those big homies on the street, the the, the knowledge that some of us got, you know, through fathers, stepfathers, uncles and whatnot to go hunting and fishing and whatnot. You know, it's stuff like that that we took with us. Right. And so that left 15 percent of people like me and I'm I'm going to classify myself back then as, as as a street thug, you know what I'm saying, a criminal. You know, I was from a gang, but I was doing all my crime and whatnot. When we went into the prison system, that left wide open what was going to take place in the streets because it was only 15% left of people like us. But the streets got filled up with 85% of people who wasn't like us. It was people who was acting like us. Right, That's and so right. they changed they changed everything around. They changed the rules and the structure around within our communities, right? And then that was taught to the generation that grew up that's coming of age now, between the ages of twenty and thirty four. You know, it's almost I, I I had one word I used to call it, but somebody said it may be better to say that they were reprogrammed, right? They had been programmed into what we see now. So losing eighty five percent of black men. In the black community, whether you want to call us scrubs, criminals, and all that stuff, at the time we was doing that. We had the streets hot as, as, as fish grease out here. You know, and again, in my case, I was literally committing crimes, and I got caught committing a crime. I, I didn't go do – I didn't get 50 to life for being innocent. I got 50 to life for being guilty, right? Let's be clear about that. I'm not here saying that I was innocent. But you take me away, and you take that knowledge that I had with me, 
and it was inside for all of that time so we could give it to them, but nobody was out here giving it to ours that was out here. They were getting it from the guys who couldn't be in the streets when we was out here. So you make a really good point. I want to jump in here and say something because this is Tales from the Plantation Nation. And so with with the wisdom that you just shared, you provided a segue for me to actually show the parallels between the plantation of yesteryear or yesterday mm-hmm. and what we have today. There's, there's so many similarities. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about stripping the youth from the opportunity of receiving the wisdom and the knowledge that the elders before them have, that is part of the institution of slavery. I mean, you just think about the transatlantic slave trade and how all of the elders was taken away and on the plantation once here in America were worked to death. They were worked to death. They weren't passing down any traditions. They weren't passing down any oral histories anymore. They weren't passing down any religious practices or tongues. They were being... um, well, wait, 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 let's, wait, 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 let's back up. Let's back up for some on that. We can't, we can't, we can't say completely because we do have a lot of, a lot of wisdom that was passed on to us through in the slave ships. In those slave ships, okay, they so had already started passing the wisdom. You're right. There weren't. I, you're right. I don't like speaking the blanket statements, so I'm glad you stopped me. So I won't say yeah. that there was none. There were. I won't say that there was none. I don't like speaking the blanket statements. Thank you for that. The point that I'm can making I give, is Can I give you a couple of examples real quick? Go ahead. A couple of examples, right? And and we know them all. One of them is simply this came from from the motherland through the slave ship, and we still see it today. What happens if the palm of your hand start itching? Oh, uh, well, they say you're gonna get some money. What happens if your right knee or your left knee starts twitching or starts aching? Now, that I don't know. There's gonna be changes in the weather. You the see rain, what I'm saying? I it's little things like that that have been passed on, right, that we don't realize actually came from Africa with us. These were things that we were, that we were teaching back then before everything separated and we got over here. So I, don't, I only stopped you just to make sure just those two little small examples, I'm pretty sure people can come with much bigger ones. But I just want to make sure we give credit that our ancestors did have an oral tradition, and we did get some of it. Oh, yeah, thank you for that. And so, okay, brother. right, 100%. Forgive me for interrupting you, too. <laughs> no, no need, bro. No need. You are the host of Heart in the Paint, so you used to lace with people and guide at the same time. So it's an honor and a pleasure for you to be here. And what you're saying is true. Those oral traditions, things like that were passed on, but we're talking about on a much larger scale that holds communities together, that, that keeps a group together, that, that helps build social upward mobility and help break the curse of the transgenerational trauma that gives people a sense of belonging to something, culture, and, and something bigger than just like a, a saying or why my, my, and my knee itches or something like that. No disrespect to that, but I'm saying what was disruptive for us was our system of living, of being passed down from our elders. You know what I mean? It was so much culture that was just stolen, and it didn't make it. And even in the prison system right now, you see on, on the plantation, you can have a celly. You and your study could be studying for three years. Something could take place, or they could just one day say, well, you know what, your study did something in the kitchen that we rolled this property up, and you'll never see this person again for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? Possibly. There's a possibility you'll never see them again, depending on how circumstances go. Just like on the plantation when they would bust families up. They would snatch a mother from her from a, from a, from a, from a children or a father from his wife, and you'll never see them again. All these parallels still exist today on the plantation. And it's traumatizing each time it happens because let's say I met Aaron Showtime telling Aaron, 
was was a mentor for me. And I was this lost guy who really didn't know what I was doing. And now Aaron gets snatched up and he's gone. I never see Aaron again. Just take him off the yard. Some transfer, adverse transfer, or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. This is part of the prison population. And now my rehabilitative process is gone because though it's not his fault that I've become accustomed to learning from him, and no one said that it should be that way, but this was the beacon of hope that I found. This was somebody that shed light on my world that gave me reason to try to be positive in this environment. And then I wake up one day and he's just gone, and now i got to figure it out. You know, that type of stuff is part of the plantation psychosis. Can I can I speak Something to that else. from the other side from the other side of that? Yeah, please. Because it's I love I love that you said that right because I've I've been in that position before right, and I, as I'm listening to you, I'm like saying in my head, that's why I never put myself in a position to get rolled up off the yard. You need it because I knew because I knew I had people that depended on me like that right, and so that's why I want exactly. I just wanted to lightly touch on it from the other side that when you have lights like that that are walking on those prison yards. You know, I wasn't the only one. There was many lights, and there are lights on those yards where people are drawing energy from. Once that individual understands what he is or she is on, on the, on the, on the, in the women's prison, then they also have a responsibility not to put themselves in a position to get snatched up, even though you and I both know that somebody hating can drop a kite on you and you don't get snatched up either any way it goes. You know what I'm saying? Correct. That can happen with anybody at any given time. Somebody feeling some type of way, they want a distraction, so they'll drop a kite on you to distract from some nonsense that's taking place over there, right? And if you're I did gone, a year that's a place you just – yeah. And I, I, I did a year in a hole about the trauma that goes on, on with that. I'm, yeah, I'm going to let you finish. I just want to tell you, I did a year in a hole because somebody dropped an anonymous kite on me. And I went to the hole for the same thing right after 9-11. I hadn't even done anything, Right. But somebody dropped a kite on me. You see what I'm saying? And so just on the kite drop thing with you and me, let me say this. One thing that happened, once I changed how I was moving and the police started seeing that I was moving in a certain way that was all positive, when those kites started getting dropped on me later on, they would, got, they would get dismissed. I wouldn't even hear about them until maybe classification. Oh. Somebody would tell me that it was an A-12 up in there, but it's been dropped. Nobody, you know, because your character starts to show even inside a prison when your light is shining bright. That's big right there. Speaking of a bright light, right now I want to go to the artist that's shining the hardest. And the artist that's shining the hardest right now is um, Louis King. I want to tell you all about Louis King. Louis King is a teacher, a musician, an orator, and an all-around great individual. And so in addition to those things, he also makes great music. And it's a song called Crazy, which talks about Lakeith. And Lakeith Smith down in Alabama, for those who don't know, was, you know, is dealing with, is the victim of racism and white supremacy. It's a judge named Reynolds that sentenced Lakeith Smith to like 65 years when he was 15 years old. And you've seen this a lot, Aaron. 15 years old, felony murder rule. Him and the guy were going into a house. There were nobody in it, no occupants at the time. It was still a PlayStation. The police killed his friend, Adante, and they, they sentenced this 15-year-old boy, Lakeith, to 65 years in prison. 65 years. So this song right here that we're about to play, and we're going to dialogue about it when we come back after this, Aaron. This song that we're about to play is called Lakeith. It's called, you know, it's called Crazy, but it's about Lakeith. And it's by my boy, Louis King. He's the artist that's going the hardest. This is a segment that's sponsored by Aim for the Heart. And um, let her rip for me, Yusuf.
lock him away. And he don't wanna hurt nobody. Rolling with his friends and somebody got an idea. Now we in a sticky situation And never could have imagined consequences that we be facing In and out of houses, running from the coppers Now we trying to make it home, it's just me and my partners If one of us ain't make it out alive But if you look at me, in the courtroom You see the judge throw the book at me 65 years, but you out of probation Alabama, Aubrey in the plantation It's called a felony murder He ain't pull no trigger all that time that he be serving And his name is Lakeith and the only one that murdered anyone was police. This shit crazy. Billy, your phone ringing down there. So that's our artist going the hardest. Every week we're going to bring you a new song from someone that you probably never heard, you know what I'm saying, or may have heard or a song that you never heard. And it's always going to be sponsored by Aim for the Heart, which is an organization that utilizes artistry and music to effectuate and teach emotional literacy all throughout the schools, universities, and even on the prison. So shout out to Aim for the Heart. And we're back with my man Aaron Showtime Taylor, and this is Tales from the Plantation Nation. So welcome back, Aaron. Yep. But one thing I would like to talk to you about is some of what he was just sharing in that song and what we got, you know, we're speaking on before we went to the break is the felony murder rule. Now, over the course of 26 years and having, you said 55 to life or 50 to life? I had 50 to life. Over the course of 26 years and having 50 to life, I'm sure you encountered a slew of people who were sentenced by felony murder rule, right? Definitely. Definitely. So after hearing Lakeith's story and knowing what you know and your, your own lived experience, if you had to pontificate or speak on the 
felony murder rule. You have the floor right now. What, what would you say to the people about that? Hmm. And why why is it important See, for us can, to you know the, the know only way so the only way I can speak on it is from from uh from an op, op, from an op, uh, observation position because it didn't directly affect me, but it definitely affected people that I know. So I'll speak I'll speak on it from this position. The felony murder rule is a legal loophole to keep individuals from accepting responsibility for crimes that they commit under the color of authority. If I can make you accountable because of a crime that you committed and you have to take responsibility for a crime that I committed in the course of your crime, the ultimate get out. That's like having all the jury know, you know, I got all my homies on the jury, so I'm never going to be found not guilty. I'm always going to be found not guilty. You know, if I could set the law up to have my ass covered when I mess up under the color of authority, right? And so that's what the felony murder rule is. If somebody's standing next to somebody when it happens, then we're not going to take accountability for it. We're going to put it on you, right? Which is one of the reasons why in the state of California, they they reversed it and they're getting people out because they've seen it's unjust. How could you hold me accountable and responsible for something that I didn't do? With that being said, one of the things that happens in the self-help groups when it comes time for the board is to understand that the type of life that a person was living not may have directly caused the crime, but because it put them in a place where they was susceptible or put themselves in a position to be blamed for something that they didn't do. Now, I know that sounds like a bunch of bullshit, and to me it is. But for me to get through the board, I did have to understand the type of lifestyle that I was living that put me in the position to make the decisions that I was making. So I'm, I'm saying this because I want to take accountability for myself while making sure that the system takes whole accountability and responsibility for that law and how it has unjustly locked people up. Thank you for that. You did that. You expressed that really well. And, and it's important. For everybody that, that listens to us, whether they're listening to Tales in the Plantation Nation, whether you're listening to or watching Hard in the Paint or Abolition Today or another show that's from the perspective of someone who may have been convicted of a crime, when we speak, we are not, and even in the slightest, excusing criminal behavior. We're not excusing harm that was caused by criminal actions or our past decisions, our bad decisions. We're not doing that. We accept before you, we're willing to be held accountable for our actions. With that said, we don't excuse or assault the collective conscience of a country that is responsible for systemic and oppression and racism through the social, legal, economic, educational, political system that contributes to the, the, the lives of us all. We, we're not going to turn a blind eye and act like that doesn't exist because we accept responsibilities for our decisions. So that's what you just heard Aaron articulating when he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I committed my crime. But at the same time, there is this, this loophole that's in place, and it's wrong. So we're not trying there's to make no, excuses. Yeah, there's no way that I'm going to stand in front of anybody, right? And it's happened since they start, first started putting these cameras and microphones in my face since I've been home, where I'm not going to stand up and say that I was guilty of what I've done because I'm not that person anymore. That act I did was, the, was an act of another person. When I became a healed individual, I started helping to heal others, right? There's no way you're going to tell anybody, anybody who's done 15 years or more, who's been through the process, who's been through self-help groups, 
who have taken time to try to work on themselves, you're never going to tell us what accountability and responsibility looks like. We're going to tell you what it looks like because oh we went through God. the process. We know what it is. You can't play games with us. We didn't sat in those groups. We didn't heard every kind of con game, every excuse, every every time something happens, it's woe with me. We didn't heard all of that. You don't tell us what accountability and responsibility looks like. We tell you. We're telling the politicians. We're telling the pastors. We're telling imams. We're telling everybody out here who has been moving in hypocrisy. You aren't being accountable and responsible for the position that you have and the things you do. And we're going to be the ones to tell you what it looks like. That's so big. We're going to be the ones to tell you what it looks like. So big. And that point even goes to personal relationships. For everybody that has somebody that was incarcerated, you know, who really went in there and did the work and put forth a valiant effort at evolving, you should really take the time and respect their mind. I had a buddy of mine. He told me, and so you brought up a valiant point, and it's so I have to expound on it, so now we're on a tangent. I had a buddy of mine who was paroling, and he did a great deal of work on himself. And when he began talking from that, you know, more, 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 more emotional and understanding place of himself, his girl asked him, she said, she said, nigga, you gay? You went in there and got gay? Huh. And it was just like such a slap in the face, like, are you kidding me? And what many people don't realize is when people are incarcerated going and do the work, it creates a language barrier sometimes between you and the people that you love. Because people on the outside are not necessarily required to do the work that we are required to do on the inside to get our lives back or to make sense of our lives. You have some people who've never been in prison that really do a lot of soul searching and a lot of a great deal of work. Many people on the streets don't because they're not required to, and they don't know how right. they don't start the process. You know, but people in the carceral setting, like Aaron was just telling you, we tell you what accountability looks like. I just talked to Brother Yusuf about this earlier. I know what it likes to sit in my cell and have to face myself in the mirror and say, "Man, you were wrong. Man, you got to make a better decision." Man, you got to accept your consequences for that decision that you just made. You need to change your life. I got to come to grips with these things in order to get out. I have to look at my past decisions and my traumas, understand my, my triggers and my anchors and my causative factors. How did I get here? All of these things that we have to do that people on the streets oftentimes do not has enabled us to be a little more evolved in this area than people that we come across. And that language barrier um, oftentimes creates a problem in relationships. So I just want to caution everybody out there, if you have somebody that was incarcerated that really did the work, or if you've been out here and you really haven't been doing the work, don't underestimate the person that's been incarcerated because they may not know, you know, they may not know all of the financial data that you know, or they may not know the processes for, for um, I don't know, dealing with a certain government agency. But they may very well know the processes of interpersonal communication interpersonal communication, accountability, responsibility. And you should take that stuff very serious because these are the paths to a quality life. A person is able to sit in front of you and tell you who they was, they've taken accountability because they're not that person anymore. So they can tell you who that person was. They can tell you how foul right. that person was. They can tell you the things that that person did. And even though it was them at a, at a younger age or in a different mindset, right, you're not that person anymore because you've taken accountability. You can't beat me up for what I've done. I did that already. Come on. You see what I'm saying? We're not living and a snapshot. In the, in, the same, in the same vein with the felony murder rule, it's like you're making me be accountable for something that you did, right? 
Yes, I committed the crime. You came and showed up, and then you committed a crime within the course of that crime. Your responsibility is greater because you're the one that's been given the authority to kill people with a because you have a badge and a gun and a whole bunch of tool, uh, a bunch of other tools, right? So your responsibility is greater because you've been great. You've been given the greater task of life and death in your choice. How am I accountable for you killing somebody just because I was burglarizing something? That's why they're bringing people home, because finally somebody said this is unjust. That's the thing about the criminal justice system, right? We have to wait for people to feel a certain way about something before a law changes. Okay, if that's the case, now we have the right to vote. And now we feel a certain way about the way things have been going. And because that felony murder rule, the person who put that together was sitting in a prison cell to help get that, to help get that off the books. They were sitting in a prison cell in San Quentin, Adnan Khan. We the oh, yeah. people, I know. Caesar McDowell, is still getting people out with the help of that 1170, that felony murder rule. He's still, they still helping to get people out because the people who needed relief from the law had to write the law from, from a prison cell and then get people to move exactly. it to get it on the books and everything. You see what I'm saying? This is what it means when it says uh, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Right. When we couldn't depend we'll on people, the I same nine. people, yes, sir, yes, and the Caesar. same people who sat in, in the pulpit and the same people who sat on television and called us pieces of crap while we were locked up, right? They were saying all this about us, but they didn't do anything about the community to improve it while we were gone. So since we've been gone twenty plus years, you can't blame the condition of the community on us as it is now. Take a look at the work that we're doing since we've been home, because all of us have been rebuilding our communities, whether the press has been there or not. Because we That's take so accountability much. and responsibility for our actions in the past, and we see what happened. Now we're back out here cleaning this stuff up. That's right. accountability and responsibility That's what in action. Man, thank you. That's what accountability looks like. Man, and- I thank you so much for your insight and your truthfulness and your una- you being unapologetic with it. And I want to let everybody know that, that this conversation, you know, it's open to everybody that's listening right now. So if you're on the line and you would like to ask my guest, Aaron Showtime Taylor, a question on myself, please press one. You know what I'm saying? And we'll cue you in and we'll talk about it. And we're about to begin wrapping the show up in a little while, but I wanted to expand the conversation and um, give everybody else an opportunity to participate. So one of the things you just mentioned, uh, Showtime, was how Adnan and Curtis, you know, they begin writing legislation from this cell. That's something that, um, by the grace of God, I also um, was compelled to do, per encouragement of Jamelia and the work that was being done by Max and Yusuf and the Bollestavia National Network. I mm-hmm. wrote the original language for what became ACA3. Um, mm-hmm. Abolish, you know, the enslavery and involuntary servitude in the California prison system. Mm-hmm. Let me let me pause you now for a minute real quick, Sam. Sam, let me pause again. you for a minute. Because you're talking about okay. giving flowers to people. That's how you started this show off. <clears throat> you wrote a bill to abolish slavery in the state of California. Let's let's pause for a second. Ed and I wrote a bill to get relief from an unjust law. Let's pause for a second. Two dudes incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, went to work to relief, to bring relief to the people. You want to give me flowers? 
Let's give y'all y'all flowers. Let's give y'all y'all flowers. Y'all are literally getting people out of prison. I may be inspiring hope, but y'all are literally getting them out. Y'all are the heroes. You get flowers from me. One. Thank you, bro. One. Y'all getting people out of prison. I may be inspiring hope, but y'all are literally getting them out. So I can uplift their mind and make them look at a star, but y'all are pulling them out so they can actually chase the star. Word life. Thank you for that. Thank Word you for life. that, man. One. Grown you know, man business. Grown man shit y'all doing. I'm just a face. It is. I'm a face, but y'all out there putting in the work for it so I can talk about it on my platform as well. Y'all doing that hard work. Y'all out here getting them out. Y'all get them flowers, dog, straight up. Thank James you for that, Nelson, man. AKA, AKA Jaywalk over here in the L.A. County, over here in the L.A. Uh, uh, City Council, works over there. Flowers. Flowers. Charles David Henry over there working. Flowers. Rasan Thomas right. was one of the ones that helped us get our vote back in California. Flowers. Flowers. But right, gentlemen that's out that. there, y'all out there putting in the work to get people out and then giving us our power back in the vote. Flowers from Aaron Showtime Taylor, y'all get from me. For every brother that's out there with a 501c3 that's helping people, like Uncuff Project that's giving people backpacks when they come out of prison because the state is only giving them 200. So they got a backpack with a whole bunch of other flowers. Thank you flowers, for that. Flowers, Sam, Nathaniel Brown, flowers <laughs> for bringing me on, talking well, about the what? Plantation Nation and to kick this off. Flowers for number one show, baby. I appreciate it. Flowers, dog. Thank you, man, very much. I receive that. Well, this flowers is, you know, based on the fertilization that you provide. You feel me? That's what causes us to grow. You feel me? I'm sure Adnan and myself and everybody else that's in this position will let it be known that none of us would be here without the people who made it possible who support us and believe in us and help us to walk in our purpose, you know, so flowers. it's for all the, exactly, exactly, exactly. Wow. I give them their flowers for all the credit that you give to me. I'll pass it on. Cause I know I'm in, in, in a larger picture. None of us got here by ourselves and it takes a village. Watch this. You know, Watch this. Thank you. Watch this. James King at the Ella Baker center. Flowers. <laughs> Adamu Chan. Flowers. Showing them that you can go out and do documentaries. Adamu Chan, yes, sir. Going out that you can do documentaries. Flowers. Ben Free from the Ben Free Project, right? Got out and he's out here teaching uh, financial uh, literacy and whatnot. Flowers. Casey Lee Simpson oh, down man. there where I work at Coin Media. Did time. Was at Ironwood and all of that. Now he's got a media Don't company. Wall Street. Flowers. Don't forget Wall Street. All y'all deserve y'all flowers because y'all getting people out of jail. You put them to work. You inspiring hope. Maserati E. Philavoke, a.k.a. Cuddy, Flowers, That's Antoine right. Banks, Flowers, Sam Brown and this show, listen, Flowers. Listen, listen. <laughs> That's right. Kick it hey, up in the air, on, baby. Flowers, on, dog. Flowers to hey. all of us that got out and doing That's the right. damn it's thing out here. Flowers. Straight up. Tell us on the Plantation Nation. We here, baby. This is all our stuff for everybody. So we got a call on the line. We'd like to hear from our first caller in the history of Tales from the Plantation Nation. Caller, what's your name? Hi, how you doing, first of all, Brother Brown? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you? This is Brandon, a.k.a. No Brain. It's been a while. Uh, how you doing, Brother Brandon? How you doing, Brother? First, as the Brother Showtime just said, I want to give you your flowers, your state, and your day, Brother. That's what I'm talking about. Because what you've done, 
for the Slavery Act, for the ten. Let's talk about the ten P program real quick. That's right. I don't know. If, I don't know if you recall our time sitting on that patio in prison where they told us we would die at. Mm. When they told us that we wouldn't be nothing, that we Mm. wouldn't amount to more than our past, you set a platform in motion that changed the environment of prison, that's changed the minds of those coming home. Mm. You know, we sat there allegedly dying in prison. We had choices. Mm. We can be those numbskulls that's found a way to connive our ways into every building to get that sack of weed, or we can manifest our change. You did it. I did it. Showtime did it. A lot of brothers are doing right. it, and now they have a means to do it because changing is no longer viewed as being soft in prison. That's right. You mm. know, we were told when we first came to prison, here's a knife. Here's a ro- here's a workout routine. Come Be on, cracking. man. Be Don't cool. show up yeah. on time to the bullshit. Now it's like, yeah. bro, you better get to these groups. Bro, mm-hmm. you know, here's, you a get that degree. here's a program. Get that degree. Come home. You know, I was told, you know, under the felony under the felony murder rule, you know, I was sentenced at first to 155 years to double life mm-hmm. for a murder that I was nowhere around. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, sticking on them patios, right. you know, me and Sam, you know, we we shared, you know, Brother Brown, we shared our, our writings with each other. You know, we shared our thoughts, and it's like everything that we, everyone we meet, we do so for a reason. When we were in an right. idiotic state, we met a bunch of idiots that could help us get to the shoe. Hmm. That's right. When we changed to become, you know, the God-minded, the, the powerful energy we begin to meet people of like energy. We met each other. You know we what? met brothers like you, Showtime. Yes, sir. And you made a great point, and I'm so happy that you called in. It's so nice to hear your voice. Congratulations on getting out. And I'm happy that you yes, called sir. in, especially while we're talking about felony murder, because you didn't get out through the board of parole here. No, sir. You know, the cold part about it, I was waiting for the board, and you remember they came and got me. I remember. And I remember. Through the fabrications, you know, of, you know, a few lieutenants and sergeants with black shirts, you know, I spent nine months in the hole, you know, being accused of staff corruption. Of, they, they actually came up with a picture. They actually came up with a picture and said they found 35 phones and four pounds of marijuana in my cell, right? Wow. When they but want you, they'll come up with picture, it. When we asked for those pictures, thirty-five phones and four pounds of marijuana, four pounds of marijuana. But when we asked for the pictures, they were deleted. You take Mm. pictures with a with a digital camera; they don't go Mm -hmm. anywhere. You guys download them immediately. Mm -hmm. So this is and this is right here. (laughs) I was going to the parole board a month later. Remember the day they came and got me. Matter of fact, oh, my God, brother, let me tell you I love you. The day they came and got me, we had just finished the compassion circle that day. Mm. Mm. Remember, I was an ambassador. We were out there getting everything back cleaned up. We were. That was a major event. So let me let me jump major in here for event. a second, brother, Brandon, because I'm going to actually invite you back. And I hope Brontina is listening. I hope Senate always assume the police is listening. 
because yeah, you you dealt with felony murder, and I actually want to bring you back to talk about that and and how mm-hmm. hard it was for you to get out. We're gonna do a whole show about the felony murder rule. You know what I'm saying? I really want you to call in, and we're gonna have that discussion. Just tell me when it was twenty six. It took me twenty six years. We're gonna have that discussion real soon. Yeah, thank yes, you but I want to tell you though, brother. You know, look, I is real love, brother. Keep doing what you do. Like I told you, whenever you need me, whenever you want me, right? I'm here. If I'm not at work, I'm here, bro. You know, I've been doing. <laughs> I've been doing what I can. I've been what I do now. I've been home 20 months, gainfully employed after 17 days. Right? I'm a taxpayer now. I filed taxes. That's right. A citizen, you know. <laughs> I'm a citizen, right? But what I do now, as I meet brothers coming home, I help them get employed, right? I take them to like, you know, because everybody is, it's like you can work if you want to. So I've been helping brothers get jobs, right? And but see, I got that from you because you were a master recruiter for the Ten P program, brother Brown. Thank you. You bugged brothers, right? And I loved you because. They didn't think it was going to work, and then it became it became a showstopper. Hmm. And it's like, man, you changed. You didn't just change Lancaster. You changed prison, bro. I'm having people hmm. in other prisons call me like, bro, we're trying to get this 10P program. I'm like, hmm. well, what's taking so long? They're like, man, we need we need more information. Man, let me try, let me see if I can reach out to my brother to get it to you, right? It's going to change. It's almost board required now. It's like, Inspiring and if you notice, everything they give Thank us you. that helps us, they find a way to take it, right? Yeah. Like the ABP programs, that you limit the classes, you limit the times. You know we need this. P is going to be attacked, but because it was started by a strong individual based on love, it won't be defeated. Man. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Oh, that's right. Thank you very much. Man. I'm bringing you back. We need you to come back and talk. I want you to talk about the programs. We're going to have this discussion about how forced labor takes priority over rehabilitation in the prison system. You know, you remember those what programs they did to me? Just they just, one, I'm going to show again. you one example of what they did to me. Remember, That's they knew everybody, the, the entire prison knew I was waiting to go to the board, and that my, this was my focus. They assigned me, based on, quote, unquote, my status, to take care of a serial now, stop, killer. Stop, one second, one second, Brandon, hold on. I want to set the stage for what you're about to explain right now. So, again, y'all, this is Tales from the Plantation Nation. And so right now you're about to get a live account of what modern-day slavery looks like. I don't even know the story yet, but I just know how this stuff goes. And so the story, I'm laying the foundation so you can understand the law and what we're fighting to change. What we need is rehabilitation. Rehabilitation should take precedent over anything in the cultural setting. That's not how it is. Right now, cutting costs for corporations takes priority in the prison setting, not the rehabilitation of the individual. And as a result, they will take you out of a rehabilitative program. They will take you out of a self-help program to put you in a kitchen job, to put you on a yard crew job, even though you can't utilize any of that upon your release. I mean, you can, of course, you can go to someone and say, I I know how to watch this, but they don't give you a a person to call and say, hey, he worked for me. You're not being put on your resume. You're not walking out with any meaningful money. You're not, you haven't been paying taxes. You haven't been paying child support. None of the things that come with having a job and really preparing a person to be a functioning citizen. None of that. But wait, wait, wait. if you miss one Sam. day of work, they hit you with the modern-day whip, the 115. Go ahead, Aaron. The 115. 
let me let me say this, right? Because it's more important to have a self help group foundation when you come out than it is to have a job waiting on you. Come on. L- let me repeat that. It's better to have all of the tools that you learn in the self help group with you when you walk out than it is to have a job waiting on you when you walk out. Man, because those tools that's that you why. learned in the self help group help why, you man. navigate emotionally out here. Come on. If I hadn't went through them self help groups, I would have definitely went back to jail. It's been some stuff that took place in the past two and a half years that I, since I've been home that had it not been for those self-help groups and me having those no. tools, right, no. me having those key things that I needed, I would have reoffended straight up and down with no special effects because I would have reverted back to who I was that brought me to jail. Those self-help groups Thank are you. critical, critical to, 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 to the rehabilitative process for us to succeed when we come out. Thank you very Wait, much. And that's so why my bad. Talking about okay, so when y'all hear us talking about ACA eight, Indian involuntary servitude and slavery, in addition to dealing with this historical wrong that's been going on for so long, looking at it in today's terms, Aaron just broke it down for you so clean. It is more important for a person to walk out with all of the skills and the teachings and everything they need from rehabilitative self help programs than it is for them to walk out and know how to walk the dish. So uh, Brandon, please tell your narrative, Brandon. Now, and then we're going to, right after, he, want... Yusuf, after he's done sharing this, after this, excuse me, Brother Yusuf, after he's done sharing this narrative, we're going to play Fizz, we're going to chop it up about that, then we're going to wrap the show up, y'all. So go ahead, Brother Brandon. Okay, well, let me just quickly say what the brother just said. That's why the system is rigged the way it is. They know the, the self-help groups are key. That's what they tell you. If you quit your job, you're going on C-status, so you still won't get in the group. But what they right. did to me, what they did to me, as Brother Brown, you know, I was involved in everything. I became a chairman of Gogi and all that. But they took me out of my job, out of my, my groups, assigned me as an ADA worker. And because of quote-unquote status or influence, they made me take care of, the, of a serial killer, one of the worst in American history. Oh, yeah, Brother Sam. And I had a choice. I can take care of this man, push this man around, Make sure this man gets fed. Make sure people leave this man alone or sit in my cell and still don't get my self-help groups. So I had to balance out, miss some of my groups in order to take care of this man. And then you're charging my freedom with what this man did. If this man is harmed, if this man doesn't get this, you're responsible. Knowing I'm, finna, I'm preparing for the board, knowing I need AVP, knowing I need, you know, Ken Keenan. So what I used to do, okay. I put him up, and I'm going to go down to this 10 peak class, sit down here like I'm passing out balls with the door open, and I'm going to suck up everything Sam Brown is teaching through the door. Mm. Right. That's right. That's right. I had to find a way around it. You know, I used to bug I used to bug you, brother. Bro, I know I got on your nerves sometimes. Bro, what's going on with the 10 peak? Nah. What's going on? Hey, where you going? Hey, sit down for a minute. Look, let me, hear, let me, let me read this to you, brother. Let me do this. Because oh, no. I had to find a way around it. Because you're telling me. Now, a person that, that you're saying is the worst serial killer in history it, compared to me who was Samuel 100, 100 Samuel miles Lou. away from, from my crime that you're saying I did, I can't make myself better in order to make him feel safe. Really? I can't make myself better in order to make him feel safe. But I want to touch on another point. 
because the job that you explained to you had, uh, and then after this, we're going to close with Chad's song, y'all. We're going to check out. Because this is the first show. It's been over an hour. It's been a great show. I really love the commentary. I love my guests, and I'm happy that you called in. But before we close, because this is something that we're going to talk about on this show, is the hypocrisy of it all. People get incarcerated, they get convicted of a crime, and then they be prevented from getting licenses to get these careers when they get out, whether it be school, whether it be medical, whether it was firefighters. And the job that you had, you were an ADA worker. That's American Dis- Americans with Disabilities Act workers. And you were assigned to the most notorious serial killer in the history of America, Samuel Little. You had to clean behind this man, push this dude in the wheelchair, get his food for him. You understand what I'm saying? If he, if he urinated on himself, defecated on himself, cleaning himself, whatever. Your job, you had to go in there and do your job. And they didn't want to hear none of that. Then, upon your face right now, if you wanted to go get a job as a caregiver, you couldn't even do it. That's hypocrisy. And that's the problem. This is what we're talking about. This is what this bill and this law is about. It's about changing that. It doesn't make any sense. So... I really, really do thank you for calling in and sharing your story, and I'm going to be bringing you back, Brother Brandon, so don't worry about it. And Aaron, excuse me, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron, I really thank you for coming and participating. I really thank you for coming and participating and sharing your narrative, and I look forward to bringing you back to the show as well. Um, we also have one more, another call on the line, right? Three, five... Hello? I believe it's uh, three five years. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, can hear you. How you doing? How you doing? My name is Seb, man. Everybody call me Fresh, man. I'm from LA. I was just tapping What's in, up, just letting y'all know about this show, and I'm feeling it, and I fuck with it truly, and I just want y'all to continue to do it. I ain't really got nothing smart to say. I'm just listening to it, sharing the experience that I've been through all, you know. But I'm feeling it, and I fuck with it, and I wish y'all can do this every day. Thank you very man, much. Man, you know so I'm in, I'm in LA out here with you too, man. So you know what I'm saying that you know we may we may run past run across paths or whatnot, man. Oh yeah, that's Glad right. That's we, in too. we just we just followed each other on Instagram. I ain't really get a chance to really tap in with you. Finally, been on there like that. But yeah, I was saying right. you do your work. I mess with it, man. I see you. Just go ahead and DM me, dog. Anytime, man. I always answer the DMs on Instagram. Most definitely, brother. Most definitely. All the time. I, 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 I stay tapped in that way, you know what I'm saying, through Instagram. Talk to my boy Sam Brown, really doing it out here, messing with it truly, putting in that work. This is new Nubian, you know. It's all love, y'all. That's right. Appreciate you. And we're not going to stop. Too. So like, 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 like my brother said, flowers. Feel me? Man, him and Jamila, Barack and Michelle. Oh, man, thank you very much. Thank you. And we have flowers to Jamelia because much of the work that everybody give me credit for, I wouldn't be doing any of this if not for, for the beautiful one and only Jamelia Land. So thank flowers. you, Jamelia. I shout out to my love to y'all, man. Yeah. To my love to y'all right. brothers. You know what I'm saying? To my love to oh. y'all brothers and everybody that's truly doing the work and that's involved. I love y'all, man. Peace. All right. Sure. That Peace. love is returned, King. That's sure. right. So... So thank you all for coming and uh, supporting the first official show of Tales from the Plantation Nation. Thank you, Aaron Showtime Teller, for showing up and allowing me to talk your head off and sharing your wisdom and insight with the people. Um, man, no problem, man. Anytime you need me, you know, you call like me, man. Say, and, and, 
Well, you know, um, let me say this. Let me take a minute to promote my show. All right, so I have a show called Heart in the Paint. You can uh, follow me on Instagram at Aaron Showtime Taylor, or you can follow the Instagram page Heart in the Paint. I just started it a few uh, weeks ago, and I'm getting content over there. Um, I work for Coin Media now, and like I said, those brothers are getting people out. But I am an inspiration, and I put myself in a position to be an inspiration for the formerly incarcerated. You know, if you got somebody that's in prison, man, it's, it's cool to tell people about 501c3s, but then you can point and say, look at that dude right there, Aaron Showtime Taylor. He rocked off 26 years in prison. That dude did play-by-play at every prison, and then he got out, and he messed around and made it from the, from, from the Venice Basketball League up to the NBA, and he'd been bouncing around doing his thing, you know, and in the process, he'd been promoting everybody who's formerly incarcerated with whatever type of business they have, whether it's photography, all the way to cleaning services, plumbing, whatever it is, I'm promoting it because I understand the position that I'm in now. You know, I'm a face for something, and I love being the face for y'all. If they don't see you, they're going to see me, and when they see me, they're going to see you. Because I am you, you are me, and we are one. Period, point blank. Oh, yeah. Mic drop just like that. Aaron Showtime Taylor, Hard in the Paint. Y'all go check him out on Instagram. And, and was it hardinthepaint.com? Aaron Showtime no, that's Taylor. Gonna be, um, uh, no, that's going to be Aaron Showtime Taylor.com. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Aaron Showtime Taylor.com. Excuse me, y'all. My man is a brand. <laughs> you dig? So thank you, my man, uh, for coming on. And you will be Anytime back. Anytime you need me, man. Really Anytime you need me, and and I'm gonna be bringing you back on hard in the paint again, right? We're gonna we're gonna keep this interaction going, big dog. Thank you very much. Much love and respect. And to everybody, please tune in on Sundays to tune in and listen to Abolition today, the number seven uh, ranked podcast out of all podcasts on all the Amazon radio and, and major platforms and everything. So please tune in. That's our parent podcast, Abolition Today, and then tune in next Wednesday for Tales from the Plantation Nation with me, your host, Samuel Nathaniel Brown. And for those who tuned in to hear Dr. Jody Armour, that is my fault. It was a scheduling conflict. I apologize. We will reschedule, and he will be here to talk about his book, Nigger Theory, and the great work that he's doing. I want to leave you all with this song by this brother named Chez that really touches on much of what we're talking about here. Thank you for coming. Make good decisions. Tune in. Tell a friend things will never be the same again. Tales from the Plantation Nation. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Listen to the words of the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. This means that you are only a citizen if you are not convicted. But once you are convicted, they have the right to make you an involuntary servant or a slave. Now let's see how that's being done. Welcome to the uh, United States of Corporate Motherfucking America. Redemption. Smith Barney, Merrill Lynch, Bristol Mars, Maytag, Craft Master, DuPont, MCI, SBC. When they declare the war on drugs, 
My nigga, they declared war on us. Drug offenders mean more prisoners. And more prisoners mean more prisons built. More wood, more concrete and iron. More trucks, more gas, more hind. Framers, plumbers, electricians. Consultants, advisors, technicians. More guards, more guns. Pass more laws to lock up more niggas and that's more funds. Now they gotta hire more ones. More handcuffs, silly clubs, and stun guns. See, more calls, more CBs, and sirens. Most drug offenders is nonviolent. It's all corporate. The state ain't the owner. This prison's brought to you by Tom Warner. Reverse agreement with the United States in right. terms of what they export and where it comes from. But the mere fact that they say that the, the Tariff um, Act of 1930 has said that we're not allowed to accept prison labor produced goods, you know, um, imported into the country, means it should mean that you don't think it's right. And if you don't think it's right, then you need to look in your own backyard and see what yeah, you're doing. Somebody got to draw the buses out to the sticks. Somebody got to make the ink for fingerprints. So these companies, they donate to candidates. Cash for the ones that's tough on crime in a state. More arrests equal more votes. Pass more laws that hurt more Latin, black, and poor folk. Then cut money for education. So they can spend more on incarceration. The company that feds your kids at lunchtime now, feed them when they grown, locked on the child line. About a half a mil in jail for drug charges. It was only 50 down before Reagan took office. Then he sold guns for dope to the Contras. And crack rocks exploded in Oakland and Compton. More niggas locked up as expected. This prison's brought to you by General Electric. It just seems like they're, they're taking advantage because the mere fact that they don't have overhead in terms of insurance and workers' costs and all these other things, you're having, you're getting all these benefits as a result of having the labor. Um, and if you want to say, okay, well, we're training them, we're giving them a skill, we're giving back, it would be one thing. But if you're paying someone 17 cents an hour, that is heinous. It's become a, a new slave workforce. Just lock these niggas up and make them work for us. And they like to rap about it. That'll work for us. Market them niggas helping slave a new workforce. Dope and guns, guns and dope. Keep them high, no hope, bro. And in and out of code, it's all profit. From the dope to the locksmith. Machine so big, Jesus Christ couldn't stop it. It's a parable. See the Pharaoh, the president. If Jesus came back, they label him a terrorist. I ain't religious, but I read the scriptures. From what I read, Jesus would have been banging for us niggas in that safe. And all poor folk on the struggle, they can lock me up. But the Lord forgive me for the hustle, cause niggas just on some feed, they kid shit. Living in the system brought to you by big business. Once you change your philosophy, you change your thought pattern. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. Abolition. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. <laughs>